and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Now, Shigeo Shingo, the famous Japanese industrial engineer and creator of the Shingo model of operational excellence, which in itself proved that successful organizational transformation occurs when leaders understand and take personal responsibility for architecting a deep and abiding culture of continuous improvement, once said that people spend so much time at work that if leaders don't make that work meaningful, they're effectively making their workers' lives meaningless, which is an awful thing to have on your conscience. Now, that's a deep and potentially strong and depressing thought. But when I think about what I understand my purpose to be, which is all about helping people have more fulfilling work lives, I'd like to put that in a slightly more positive way um, and concentrate on things like people just being happier at work. And that's part of what this podcast was set up to do, discuss the ways we can we can all do that practically. Well, who better to talk to about making people feel happy than someone who makes people laugh for a living? And I'm delighted today to be joined by Mel Byron, who not only has the guts and content to stand up in front of strangers and make them laugh, but she's also using her unique experiences as a comedian to create happier places to work and has a fresh and unique perspective on how to do that. And that's what we're going to talk about today, just some of those things. So, hello, Mel. Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely delighted, my friend. Really, really nice. And to have someone with a very, very different perspective on life is, um, is going to be fun, I hope. I hope so. Well, I hope so. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. <laughs> no pressure as a comedian. <laughs> you, you, know, you will be entertaining. Um, so look, tell us a little, uh, little bit about you and what you've been up to. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a comedian, although that's been um, somewhat curtailed in the last year and a bit. But <laughs> we found ways around it because we're creative people. Uh, prior to that, I, I was a full-time office bunny. And so, so you know, I just want people to out there to know that I'm not just some actory person who's decided that I know how offices work. Because I worked in one for 20 years. So I know what it's like to be miserable at work. And that's really kind of what made me decide I'm going to jump ship now. I'm, I'm unhappy. I, I'm for a whole heap of reasons, which we may not have time to go into today. I was unhappy. <laughs> uh, I know, too many reasons. Uh, I'm writing a book about it. I'm not sure. I don't know how long that book's going to be. And uh, so, yeah, I decided to, to jump ship. And I thought, but I want to help people be happy at work. I, I want to give people that happiness that I know that was missing from mine. How can I do that? 
hmm. And then I thought, oh, I used to do comedy in my 20s. Why don't I have a bash at that again? So I, I took some part-time work and then decided to write uh, Edinburgh Fringe Show all about the iniquities of work. And it was such a joyous experience. It sounds like it should be miserable, right? But no. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was joyous to just share the madness and just purely have a laugh, right? It was utterly cathartic, I think, for me more than anybody else. But that, that was fun. But what I also wanted to do then was, was really make a positive contribution. So that's when I decided something I'd always wanted to do was train and coach. So I set up Happy at Work quite recently, actually, sort of just before lockdown. As we say in comedy, it's all in the timing. And, and, and that's, so I coach people in speaking skills, but there's a whole sort of array of things that fit around Happy at Work and sort of what I call working like a comedian, because I realized as I was doing this that there's a lot that we do as comics that actually can be applied to, to how we work in the workplace, in the office or wherever your workplace is. And, and also having been through, and we've all been there, we've all done training, we've all had our companies pay for training because they think it's a nice thing and it'll make us all cheery. So we go off, we do the half day, we get the free biscuits and we think, oh, this is great. And then you can't apply any of it to what you do in the office, right? Because it's, you know, making spaghetti towers that have to stand up when you put a marshmallow on the top, or as one of my friends did, making a sofa out of the balloons you make little dogs out of. And it's like, that was fun, but how does it apply to the work that we do? And I just thought, hang on a minute, there's a lot that I do in comedy that we can actually use in the office. And, and so that's really the direction that I've been taking of late. So yeah, I've been you know, talking to lots of people and doing webinars and stuff. And, and yeah, I, I, I really think, especially as we're starting to emerge out of lockdown and people are going, well, what's the future of work and how are we going to work together as teams? I think there's a lot in this and I'm excited. I'm also excited to be out actually performing gigs as well, which is really nice. Oh, I bet, I bet that's amazing. I mean, you're, you're, you're hitting some major buttons for me right now because you talk about having fun at work, which is good, but also the practicality, right? Actually, yeah. actually getting something that works and can actually yeah. be done. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how many spaghetti towers still exist in businesses. I, I, I've not seen it play a major role in strategy going forwards, but hey. No, and you know what the, the weirdest thing was? But that, that I, I did that as part of the show to show, you know, the daft things that, that we do at work. And because I had actually been asked to, as part of a training day when I worked back in publishing, we got taken away for half a day or a whole day actually was a trainer and one of the exercises she made us do was build these spaghetti towers and here we all were they're like the managers of this company I don't think there was any of us under 40 and we were given three sticks of spaghetti and a marshmallow and told given 18 minutes to make it you know, make it stand up and I just thought well that's so ridiculous but I kept it in my brain and I thought well I'm going to use that as an example in the show so I did some research when I was doing the show about spaghetti towers and what I found online were the instructions and the instructions for making the towers say this is an exercise suitable for seven to ten year olds <laughs> and I just thought why did any trainer think that that was suitable it went on to, to then give you health and safety instructions 
health and safety instructions, you know, for a bunch of 40-year-olds. I just thought, this is ridiculous. But, you know, the ridiculousness of it stayed with me, and we actually had a bit of a laugh about it. I would have thought that the guys listening to this show, watching this show, you must have picked up huge amounts of resonance with people going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's us seeing that, right? Because that's when comedy is at its absolute best, where you can oh, see yourself you know, in the story, right? Absolutely. And and storytelling is one of the things that I'm really keen that we kind of take into the work environments as well. And what was lo- and, and the proof of that, the, the sort of the concept of that was when I was doing the show, I actually had a bit in the show where we had a tea break a virtual tea break where I'd give out biscuits and we'd have a chat and the stories people would tell me people in the audience would tell me oh this happened to me and that happened to me and I get all these wonderful stories and and so everybody's got these magnuses to share yeah and it might not have been spaghetti tower training but it was you know somebody else had to chuck bean bags around the floor or mm. something you know there was oh, you made a fake com- it was a making a fake company which was to or, do with or, beanbags or being led through a forest by someone blindfolded at night which is you know oh, again oh. a common yeah. occurrence in most offices um it, it happens i mean metaphorically maybe we are being <laughs> led by Yes. in some ways but yeah I mean, honestly and it was just lovely you know when people start to when you tell a story it really resonates and people remember it and I remembered people's stories and I know people wrote to me afterwards and said that, you know, that what I'd said had resonated with them. And, and so telling stories, I think, is such a powerful thing. And I think it's something I would like us to do more of in the workplace. Mm. And obviously in, in something like marketing, it's, it's essential. It's essential to tell a story because a story resonates with your customers, your clients and so on. But actually using story and story structure, you know, the whole rule of three, let's have the, that exposition, let's have the journey, let's have the breakthrough. I think that we can use that a lot in, in, our, in our working lives. And, and I'm really keen. That's one of the pillars of my whole work like a comedian thing is, is telling stories because, yeah, they're powerful. I remember the stories that people told me when I started doing that show four years ago now. And and they remember the stories I told them, and in a way that they wouldn't if if I just I don't know given them some given them a management book and, and mm. read to them from the man- not that I'm I'm dissing management books because there are some really really good ones but yeah it's not about theory is it it's about resonating with people's emotions touching people's hearts and I feel like work sometimes forgets that we're real people and that's what we need to do. I think one of the principles behind businesses that really do get engagement is trying to find and match up emotional connection between people, colleagues in the business, right? It's yeah. that's, that's what it comes down to. And I think when you talk about storytelling, we've been doing it for eons. It's the way we pass down knowledge and it's, it's, I think it's innate in us, but I think we end up getting caught up in the whole rigmarole of speed and brevity uh, in business and so actually five bullet points please um if you want to explain what this is all about we don't we have so much information going please distill it into five bullets well you know i could put 
the three little pigs into five bullets. I just don't think it would be as cool as telling the story of the three little pigs. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and there's a wonderful, um, one of the, the other things I do is I teach public speaking. And uh, one of the things I sometimes use, and I recommend people to look this up. There's a guy called Norvig, N-O-R-V-I-G. Mm-hmm. And some years ago now, he created, he, he was in a hotel, he was bored in a hotel room and he was fed up with boring presentations and people put it slide after slide after slide after slide with all the words on that they were going to say. So in his hotel room, he took a PowerPoint template and he poured into it Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address to show that if you take that approach to a beautiful piece of writing, a beautiful story, you can actually kill it stone dead. Absolutely. So like the four score years and 10 before, you know, the founding of America, he put that as a graph. Um, <laughs> and it's very, very funny, but actually it does make you cringe. And you're, and it's the same kind of thing as, as distilling a, a, you know, a beautiful story down to five bullet points, you know, pigs three of snow white plus dwarves you you could just you could distill but look up norvig uh gettysburg address it's one of the funniest and it's one of those things you you read it with kind of your your hands in front of your eyes because you think oh we've all done it haven't we i I will stick that in the show notes mel because that sounds like an absolute cracker to get into it's it's a cracker it's it's one you should and then the one i often always use when i'm talking when i'm teaching public speaking is i um Archimedes principle which is you know if I because I when I do the action when I read the principle I actually have to read it out about a body of anybody submerged and so on because I can't remember that I can't remember it but then I go into well imagine we're in the third century BC in Syracuse and the king has this crown and I, I can tell you that story and I can embellish it without any notes I can make it funny I can throw some jokes in and yes it will last a little bit longer we shouldn't rush through these things but it will actually resonate with you and it'll make you remember it because that's what we did when we were kids yeah Yeah, that's what we did when Mm -hmm. we were kids and that's why we should be telling stories not just presenting bald information yeah, it might it take longer to deliver, but it will last longer in the memory, right? So exactly. It's, it's when we're good. public speaking, which is again something else that and and you know, comedy is is taking the stage. I'm a big fan of everybody taking the stage, whatever that stage might be. Mostly it's little boxes on a the screen these days, but <laughs> when we and, and and I think that's going to continue. But when we take the stage, there, we're not just giving info. If you're just giving information, send an email because, quite frankly, you being there, you being part of that, that emotional connection isn't needed. So if it's just bald figures, send me an email. Yeah. But what you can add, what we can add as people is three things. So when you're public speaking, you want to inform, you want to impact and you want to inspire. So impact is like to imp- appeal to people's emotions and then inspire is to actually get them to do something, to take action. And it might not be something they do immediately, but it would be something that, and it might be something that they do for themselves. It might not be to your benefit. It might not be to buy your product, but maybe it is in the right context. 
So when we're speaking, it's not just about here's some information, you know, a body submerged in water displaces the amount of whatever. It doesn't matter. It's about the emotional connection. And that takes time sometimes, but is always worth doing because that's what brings people to you and keeps people loyal to you. And I think in businesses as well, in companies, sometimes we, we, we're, we're better at doing it with the external people. We're better at doing it with customers than we are actually with employees, with people who actually work in the organization. Oh, my God. Hallelujah. I mean, that's, that's my whole thing, right? That is like, as a, as a marketer, mm-hmm. I'm okay to say that now. Therapy's helped. Uh, <laughs> I'm freely admitting that I'm a marketer. The, the thing about businesses spending time, money, resources on trying to find connection with customers and loads of money on telling these stories, and yet internally, in most places, it's pretty grim. It's, no no it? connection. It's just download. Uh, an assumption as opposed Absol- to involvement. Oh my God, that is such a good way of thinking about it as download. Absolutely. I used to work in a, a company where we had the company values stuck on the wall in the Oh, reception. here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Every one of those values was external. It was about what we did for other people, which was great. It was great that we provided this knowledge. It was a publishing company. We provided knowledge, we provided access to research and so on and so on but not a single value. And there were no articulated values about what we who worked there were all about, what the company was was about for us and and how we should feel engaged with this process of creating value for the company, for the the external customer and research and making giving access to research. There was none of that at all. And it was a pretty miserable place to work, I have to say. This is why I'm really interested to have you on, and we will dig into the perspective of a comedian and the le- other lessons that we can learn. But this is where I think the affinity comes to in what you're talking about and a lot of the stuff that I end up concentrating on what we talk about on this podcast. And you can all distill it down to the engagement triangle that starts with the, you talk about inspiration, the kind of why, that purpose, right? What's the bigger reason for doing what we do, right? Mm-hmm. That we can perhaps all galvanize around. Coming down into the, into the how that that empowerment of people to once they understand what the the big meaning is right get out of their way give them the tools and the setup and then get out of their way to enable them to do that and then you get into the what which is okay so what are we going to achieve and yet what businesses tend to do is they flip that triangle all around and go right this is what i want you to achieve okay where's my inspiration and where's my empowerment yeah 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 yeah. we'll get to that after you've done the stuff and, yeah. uh, you know, that's not the way to engage. And yeah. uh, I'm fascinated by your perspective on on things from how we match up the things a comedian would do to kind of get this engagement, to find the resonance, because that's that's the start of the engagement journey for people, right? And this is something that you have to work very hard at. It's a myth, I think, that every comedian is is just born with funny bones and it's really dead easy. It's a hard process that, you it, know. It really is. It really is. And and I, I think of certainly the creative, because there's two parts to it. Obviously, there's the creative process of coming up with some material by yourself in a darkened room yeah. uh, before you go out or into a lighted room, before you go into a darkened room yes. and, and put that material in front of people. And the thing is, until you do that part of the equation, it isn't comedy. It's just some writing that you did by yourself. Mm. And, and so what we do, and, and we do this a lot, 
is we put out very imperfect material and there's a whole system that allows us to do that. You may have come, come across um, open mic, open material. Oh, I've been to material. some, yeah, I've been to yeah. some. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of them, you just think, oh, this is terrible. And, and we're on stage thinking, this is terrible. <laughs> but what sounded hilarious to us in our bedrooms was isn't hilarious to an audience. So we have to go out, scratch that, and then start again. Even for a full-length show like the one-hour shows we do at Edinburgh and the Fringes, you'll often see from about January onwards, people start doing work-in-progress shows, building up to the summer festival season. Mm. And the very first work-in-progress show I did, the very first show I did, which was called Karoshi, which was the show about work. We'll come to Karoshi in a minute, the sure. word. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, uh, I would say, probably 30% of that ended up in the show. But I needed to do that in order to get that out of the, my system. It's always like sometimes you have to slaughter some precious children i know that's that's a horrible no. sorry that's a horrible hey, hey i used to say you're I, I that you're killing my puppies when i was bringing concepts to forums and what have you which is an awful thing to say don't tread on my puppies whichever is your favorite phrase really but yeah, i guess okay. you have to do it you have to do you know whatever the, the cute thing is that the, the cute thing that you've created it's precious to you at that point it's just it's a little totally embryo. precious to you, it's the most precious thing. To me, that is the funniest line I have ever written. Mm. But if I do it at three new material nights in a row and nobody laughs or I tweak it and there's, then it has to go. It's like panning for gold. You know, there's all that rubbish that comes up mm. to, to get those, those nuggets. And you, so you have to write 100 things to get 10 things that might work. And, and I know from my own experience in the workplace that there was so much pressure, as you say, on the what, on getting it done, getting the thing done, that the pro we were, we, there was no process. The process was not part of it. It was just you will start and you will finish, and what you will finish with is a perfect thing. And if you don't, then that thing is wrong. So these parallels then, so the perspective of a comedian and applying what you've learned in your process to the workplace are there are there some headlines that yeah. that you would throw up to sort of say right if we're going to apply the perspective of a comedian and getting our stuff out there to make it work and to make it resonate with people these are the big blocks that we have yeah. to work per through perfection throw any idea of perfection out of the window straight away mm. because it won't be perfect it's our process it's a constant process and that was something i learned really very early on, certainly when I was doing the first full-length show, because I'd never done anything like a full-length show. I mean, I'd done short gigs before. But it's a process. Forget about perfection. Forget about coming out of the traps fully formed. It's not going to happen. And, and my view, certainly on the shows that I've done, I've done two so far and there's another one in the offing, is that when you get to the point where you think, oh, I think that's done now, Kind of maybe it's time to move on and do another show. Yeah, because because the per because when you're not getting that buzz from oh I'm learning about it because each day you do a show for example at Edinburgh you do three weeks in a row every single day and and so you get to by the end of week one you know where you're going to stand at a certain point in the show you know where your hand is going to go and so on. but every day is slightly different because the audience is different. 
and the response you get is different and they laugh in different places. So every day is different. So forget about this is the fully formed finished article. It's always a process. There's always a learning to be done. Forget perfection. Perfection is is, is just going to kill you off. It's about the process. And I think it was Voltaire who said that. So I'm bringing in the big, the big oh guns. Oh, my now. word. We've got Good Archimedes, Voltaire. Voltaire. About, you know, it's not about, it's about a journey towards perfection. And you may never get there because who decides what's perfect? So at some point you have to let it go. And I've worked in marketing as well. And, and you know, there comes a point where you've just got to let it go and let it get out there. And, and the response will come or the response won't. If you're going to fail, get it out there. Do it quickly. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to invoke Samuel Beckett now. Oh, said that, my Lord. I know, I know. You see, I know comedians, intellectuals were practically the same thing. Uh, <laughs> this is why you guys always win Richard Osman's uh, House of Games. Comedians you win know, every you know, time because of the brain. Celebrity mastermind. It's always the comics. Yeah, it's exactly. always. <laughs> exactly. Marvelous, great stuff. I, that's my that's my goal. That's my achievement goal. That's my my big headline goal in life is to get on Celebrity Master. I could go the normal route and go to, to normal mastermind, but you've got to go through several set stages to get to that. I want to have one specialist subject. Get on Celebrity Mastermind and win. That's and what what would the specialist subject be? What I would be it would be probably the life and work of the 1930s film star Kay Francis. There you go. Wow. You didn't expect me to say that, did you? Didn't expect you to say that. Have no idea, uh, really, rudely, who Kay Francis is. Who that is. Well, yeah. that was my second show. I did uh, I, my, The second show I did was called Old Movies Save My Life, which was uh, really literally about my, my adoration of 1930s and 40s movies, which was a great show, a fun show to do. Because Karashi, the first show I did about work, that I always said was the show I needed to write because I needed that catharsis. Mm. Uh, but I was also don't don't get me wrong. I was very conscious that I was doing it in front of an audience and they had to benefit from it. Karashi, by the way, is Japanese for death by overwork. Oh, uh, okay. Well, look, that almost link, that links beautifully back to our introduction. It's almost like this was planned and seamless, Mel. I know. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> But yeah, death by overwork, and which is a, a sort of phenomenon discovered in Japan in the 1960s originally, and they they put a name to it. And I just felt like that was a kind of metaphor. But I was thinking not so much of actual physical death as they were in Japan, but of those little deaths that we have when you know you go to it, a little bit of you dies inside. And and so that was the show I absolutely needed to do. And then All Movies Save My Life was my fun. That was the show I wanted to write. I've had so much fun with that. I've met some fantastic people because of that and become kind of tapped into a, a, a the, that's the other side of my life, the old movie network. So yeah, so that's my celebrity. Mastermind okay, I shall. I shall look out for that. Yeah, so, <laughs> and, I, and I'll be, that'll be one episode where I will, won't get a single question. Answered you probably no. won't. No. No, very disappointing <laughs> for me, but uh, but inevitable. But hey, that's what it is. No. So all this great perspective that you have, based on previous career and standing up in front of people, failing fast, and and coming to coming to a good place over a process. When it comes to your Let's call it a movement, this happier at work movement 
that that you're trying to push out there how, how does all this relate what are the key messages that you're trying to get across to create happier places to work well work should be fun I mean, it really is. None of the messages that I have are kind of complex or, or in fact, even kind of surprising, I don't think. Well, maybe it is surprising to hear the phrase work is fun because people go, well, it's work. It's called work for a reason. Mm. But we all know, and there's been research done by much cleverer people than me, that shows when we're having fun, we are more productive. So if we're more productive, isn't that benefiting everybody? Yeah. Because it's then it shows on the bottom line as well, as well as us enjoying ourselves and having fun. And we have fun by having this, by enjoying the process and learning. Because we all know we know a lot more now about people's motivation, don't we? Sure. And constant learning is a huge motivator. Yeah, you know, we have fun by trying things out not quite getting them right, but without that fear of, oh, my God, I'm going to be be blasted for this. Oh, my God, my boss is going to kill me because I've made a mistake. We have fun by going, oh, do you know what? That didn't work. But, hey, let's take that and let's let's move that. Let's see if we can move that forward in a different direction. So I just think work has to be fun. Work has to be, for want of a better word, nice. We have to be nice. We have to be kind. We have to make people feel good. Everything we do in comedy is about making people feel good when they left. I've had people come up to me at the end of a show to say how much fun they had, where they were feeling a bit rubbish before they came, but they came to some comedy and it's really made them feel so much better. Imagine if at work we could feel so much better about ourselves because we've created something, we've benefited people in some way. And I think we just lose sense of that so much because we focus on the result, the, the, the what, as you say, rather than the why are we here? What are people going to get out of what we do? What are we going to get out of what we do? And that's what the joy of comedy, and, and of course that instant reaction, of course, is a wonderful thing, which we don't always get. That's, a, that's very specific to comedy where we get that instant reaction where if people are silent, we know they don't like it. Yeah. But if they laugh, there's no greater buzz in the world and they, the mood in the room is just, is just electric sometimes. Mm. So I just think that's that's what we need to be. But we need to be bringing that sense of fun. I think there's a there's a real misnomer around productivity and having fun, because I, I know in teams where we've had a lot of fun, other departments in the past have looked at us and gone that you just you're just larking around. All we ever see you do is laughing and having fun and making jokes. You need to do some work. I'll tell you this now, those teams were the most productive I've ever worked in. They got stuff done in far shorter time. So while someone is sitting there for eight hours dirging over stuff, yeah, we may well have been, yeah, maybe a bit loud at times and a bit raucous, but we were having fun. But it made the work easier. Definitely, you know. So I I think if you look over the – if you're meerkatting in your office over the little – the little dividers and you're seeing this this team over there larking around having fun 
don't make the assumption they're not cracking on with stuff because absolutely absolutely i i remember once uh in one of the the jobs i had actually the one with the values stuck on the wall and we we were having a meeting and a guy whose whose desk was quite near this meeting room, which had a closed door, so we probably were being quite there. We were laughing about stuff because we were trying to create, we were trying to come up with a campaign for something. We just kept laughing at the daft things we were coming up with. But you need to come up with those daft things to get to something that you, could, you, create, you could actually use. And he banged on the door and he came in and said, you're not making so much noise. Um, and I did feel bad because we were interrupting him. But when we walked back out into that department near where the, the, the meeting room was, they were all sitting completely silent and completely focused. And I just thought, oh, they're not having fun. And we've just had some fun. And I'm not saying that they weren't doing valuable work, but I wondered if him banging on the door was as much as sort of, oh, I wish we were having that much fun. There must be an element of that. There must be so. an element of that. But it's, I, I don't know, physically, if you are constrained, you're not able to release your full potential because it's all coiled up. I think if you're able to express yourself and feel relaxed, then that's when the gold happens, right? That's when the good stuff yeah. co comes out. And I think it's, look, in an office environment, it's obviously about balance every now and then, right? But I don't know. I can't get away from the fact that when you're relaxed, having fun, feeling good, things are easier around you. Oh, totally, totally. And also, and I know this from bitter experience, it affects your decision-making decision process. Right. It, it can lead to really quite flawed decision-making. I, I come back to this point. The more relaxed, the more you can release, yeah. I think. Um, and when you are constrained, it's tough and things are harder and you're more conservative, you're less creative, you're less innovative. And yes. if businesses need anything right now, it's more creativity and innovation to succeed. Absolutely. So that creativity and innovation is what's going to make an organization thrive in the future and in the very near future. But for a lot of organizations, that means a huge change in thinking. And that's where I really feel that I want to really want to point at those organizations and say yeah change is scary but this is a good kind of change <laughs> that could actually benefit and keep your business at the top or even keep it in existence but i think we're going through a transition and i think from from a leadership perspective it leaders today need to have a very good awareness of mindset mm -hmm. right they have to they have to understand motivation <laughs> they have to understand engagement they have to remember that their job is to create an environment where their people can be their best the things that we've talked about today right? that, that is way. absolutely and and you know one of the th things that i do and, and to come back to the sort of comedy analogy one of the things that i love doing more than anything else in comedy is being the mc it's being your host for the evening and i love that because it's your job to create the mood in the room and i love that so much you're the first person on stage you're meeting the audience you're reading the room you're you're getting the audience warm and receptive and what you're doing is you're making creating an environment that allows the people the workers the comedians to do their best work and if you're being a good mc that's your job. That's that's your leadership role is to make sure that everybody is there 
able to do their best job because you've created the environment within the room that allows that to happen. And I see a lot of MCs, particularly people new or people, a lot of people set up their own nights, sometimes new material nights, so that they can have more time on stage. So they come on and they be the MC and they think their job as the MC is to have more time on stage than anybody else and tell more jokes than anybody else, which is completely to misunderstand the job because it's a leadership role which allows the people who are doing the job to do the best job possible. If you're, and, and then you bring, if you think about that in terms of, of the workplace, that's like your manager doing half the work for you and telling you exactly step-by-step step how to do the rest of it yourself. And, and that is just not how we should be doing things. And it's not motivational. And then nobody gets the best out of it. Everybody has a poor experience. Mel, I'm loving this conversation, but I've just glanced at my timer. I know. And got- it's like gone crazy. And um, there's a bit of me that doesn't really care. And there's a bit of me that has to go, no, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to keep going. So listen. We will have to continue this conversation, I think, in another episode. But for today, I think so. There's yeah, loads more. There's isn't so there? much more material. Mm. Um, for today, I like to leave the listeners with three sticky notes. Right, practical mm-hmm. piece of advice they can take away back to the office to start. In your case, having a a happier place to work. So, if you were to leave behind three sticky notes, what would they be, my friend? I would say, first of all. Perfection is the enemy. Imperfection is your friend. That constant process of putting out things that are imperfect, trying out things that are imperfect. Don't be afraid to be imperfect. Don't self-censor and go, oh, this is silly. The other thing is to tell a story. And a story is not just what, as we have said, it is why. So a story is a journey. You've got three parts to your story. You've got where we are now the journey we're going to take, and then the breakthrough, the resolution. So always, whatever you're doing, try and frame it in terms of a story. There's a very interesting book called Into the Woods by a man called John York, who was a script editor on EastEnders. and He talks about five-act story structure. Uh, It's really interesting. Anything to do with stories, tell a story. And the other one is don't be afraid to take the stage to be present. More people are afraid of public speaking than of pretty much anything else. But you have something that's worth saying and you know something. The combination of your knowledge and experience is is unique to you. You have something worth saying. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that could happen? Very good way to sum that up. Three fab sticky notes there, Mel. Thank you so much for those. Listen, my friend, we have come to the end of our time together today, which I'm very sad about, actually. <laughs> we will do it. we have to do this again because yeah. there's lots more. <laughs> Definitely we'll do that again. Excellent. Um, but thank you so much for your time today. Uh I've loved having you on. Well, Brilliant. I will see you again thank very you. soon. <laughs> you will indeed. Thanks ever so much, Andy. Cheers. Bye. Okay, Mel. Thanks ever so much. Thanks. Okay, guys, that was Mel Byron. And if you want to check out a bit more about what Mel's about, what she's doing, and some of the things that we've talked about in the show, please check out the show notes. So, that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, 
please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.